Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And this week we're reviewing Heat, the hot new game about racing cars around a track. And we're going to do it in our traditional decision space deep dive format. Brendan, it's been a while since we've done one of these deep dives, but I'm really excited to cover this game in particular. Likewise, 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 Jake. And I think that this one's been a long time coming. We've wanted to sort of put our time into it, sort of thinkfully engage with the system. So in this episode, we're going to dive deep, I think for the most part, on the core mechanisms and mechanics of heat. There's a lot that comes in the box uh, for heat, which I know is a part of the charm for a lot of people. And we'll touch on some of the advanced modules and other systems at the end. But I I think in our sort of classic deep dive, we often have the most engaging conversations when we just talk about the sort of core system and what makes it tick uh, or what makes its wheel spin, maybe more appropriately in the context of this episode. Uh, so I want to set the expectations here that we'll do that. Uh, but like always, before we get into our actual deep dive, we're going to give our ratings and review and a little game background to give you some context for the conversation. So Jake, do you want to do the honors and give your ratings and review on heat uh, to help listeners better understand where you're coming from yes absolutely so gentlemen start your engines <laughs> uh just kidding we've talked on this show about how board games at their best can present players with a different type of agency to take on and of all the racing games that i've played heat feels the most like I'm actually taking on the role of a person participating in a race. And, you know, I, I'm not a NASCAR enthusiast or some other type of auto sports enthusiast. Uh, so, you know, maybe if if you are, you might get more or less out of this game than me, depending on like how, how well it kind of feeds into that. But, you know, from the limited experience, I've had racing cars, which has largely been in like video games and stuff like that. I feel like Heat just does a masterful job of presenting players with those types of decisions. And it's a lot of fun too. Uh, it might not be the a game that like I find like the most fun of all the games I've played, but I just think it's a masterful design and, and quite fun. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Nice. Okay, awesome. Coming in hot. Also, I cannot believe this, but Jake, in referring to games as agencies, is a little bit alluding to an older episode of Decision Space, episode 67. Games are agency as art, a new way to talk about games, in which we invited uh, C.T. Nguyen, Nguyen onto the podcast to talk about his book, Games Agency uh, as Art. If you've never listened to that episode of Decision Space, again, it's episode 67. I definitely recommend it. It's one of our best. And I'm going through all of this to just say I was shocked that in playing Heat, I went back and thought a lot about T's book as well and had just been thinking about his writing in general. Uh, so maybe we'll get into why that is later on in the episode and sort of how both of us arrived at this like return uh, to that way of thinking about games. But here's my brief review uh, on Heat. Heat is a rare game that has a real sense of momentum and flow without being an engine building game. The mechanics create a true thematic link, if a somewhat abstracted one, with a theme in a way that leads to palpable, exciting, and fun moments. Some of Heat's mechanisms like stress cards, simultaneous reviews, and boosting mean that ultimately the player's core skill being tested is adaptation. While Heat's variance won't be for everyone, I find the game to be a tremendous accomplishment with a seemingly endless fuel tank of content to explore. 
It's really exciting that Heat's thematic thematic undergirding and mechanics link in a way that amplifies each one another to the extent that they do. And it's a game that I thoroughly and thoroughly enjoy. enjoy. So for me, this is also a 9 out of 10. Making this, I think, one of the highest games we've rated on the podcast all year together. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so that's that's a winner for sure out of us. And I think it's one of those games where it's difficult to say, like, this is not right because it just feels like a game almost in like the azul category where it sets out to try to accomplish and just does that so well i think that for me is partially what makes heat so exciting and also helps explain why it's done so well is it it really does just it seems like the the thesis of what they wanted heat to be is totally realized in in what he became in publication and in the box so to speak to that he is the 2022 release from days of wonder days of wonder is a publisher who's i, I think pretty renowned at this point for being known as a, a publisher who releases one big release a year uh, so they've done games like tick to ride memoir 44 bruno cathala's five tribes or even uh, small world is another sort of older classic that I, I don't think gets as much play these days but has this sort of outsized sort of footprint in the hobby in terms of a crossover game from hobby to more casual uh, player spaces. Days of Wonder might be the most successfully mainstream hobby game publisher to exist yet. Uh, So it's notable that Heat was a game they decided to publish. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting a game picked up by Days of Wonder has got to feel really great um, just because they do have that reputation, right, of being not only putting out great and accessible games that are able to penetrate a larger audience, but also incredibly discerning, right? They're they're not throwing a bunch of ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? They're picking one game and then investing a lot into making sure um, that they're fully supporting it and it's fully realized. Uh, and it feels like Heat is just such a perfect pairing for this pub- publisher in particular. Yep. And Heat was designed by Asger Harding Granerd. And Daniel scheduled Peterson. I'm so sorry if, if that I butchered your name. Can't names. be right. I'm sure I did. <laughs> um, but both of these individuals are the designer designers of a couple notable games previously. The most, I think, relevant to this conversation being Flam Rouge, a racing game that uses a similar hand management system uh, and sort of shuffling system uh, to Heat that came out in 2016. Heat is almost like Flam Rouge 2 in a way. It's the spiritual successor in a lot of ways, and it builds on that core systemic foundation of Flam Rouge. Jake, I don't think either of us have played Flam Rouge. Is that right? Yeah, I, I haven't. And I think that's good to get that out of the way now yep. because a lot of the conversation kind of critically around heat has been in comparison to Flam Rouge, uh, which game people think is better, you know, so on and so forth. So if, if you're coming to the show looking for that, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to pro- provide that. This is just going to strictly be looking at heat. And I'll just jump up and say, I think fortunately, because now we can just evaluate heat for heat sake and talk about heat within a vacuum, um, which was a joke. But other games that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> physics jokes. Okay, other games that these Asger and Daniel have designed are 13 Days, The Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962. That came out in 2016. Uh, and then also Copenhagen in 2019, which is this polyomino type game from Queen Games uh, that looks pretty interesting. Kind of interesting, Copenhagen, since uh, we're talking about Days of Wonder, because Copenhagen is very similar to Ticket to Ride mechanically. Mm. It's like Ticket to Ride card system paired with kind of a simple polyomino system. 
Cool. Um, I played it once. Very pleasant game. It didn't really like stick with me as something I needed to go back to and revisit. But now that I'm putting the pieces together, Copenhagen almost feels like a game that was like designed with Days of Wonders sort of core company ethos in mind. Ethos in mind. And then of course, it, and ultimately it was published by Queen Games. Um, but that's that's really fascinating, Jake. And then I mentioned 13 Days, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, which is a, a war game, I think, I believe. I haven't played it. Uh, but I just felt notable to me because I knew we were going to talk about theme a lot in this episode to mention that these two designers had done this like very thematic uh, historical game together in their ludography, which I just think is neat and, and notable. So I wanted to mention Isn't that. that. Is that like a coin game? I do not know and cannot speak authoritatively on that but i think it is like a, a very like short and accessible one okay but interesting i'll google it and okay. while i'm googling that brendan why don't we play our previously recorded rules overview to give people a better idea of how heat goes and then we'll meet it back on the other side for our deep dive discussion He is a relatively straightforward racing hand management game for one to six players played on a shared track. Each player has a car on a shared racetrack board that itself shows turns and notes the speed limit for a given turn, straightaways, and of course, the finish line. Each player also has a deck of cards containing speed cards, which range in value from zero to five and dictate how far a player might move on a given turn. It also contains stress cards, which force a player to reveal cards from their deck until they reveal a speed card and move that amount, and heat cards, which don't start in a player's hand or deck, but are an important resource that allow players to potentially move further at key moments, but will also be shuffled back into the player's deck, potentially gumming up their hand for future turns. Each player begins the game with seven cards in their hand. Simultaneously, each turn, players choose any number of speed or stress cards from their hand to play. Then each player reveals these cards at the same time, and movement is resolved in the order each player is positioned in the race. For example, the player in first goes first, second goes second, and so on. To determine a player's movement, they add the value of all their speed cards together and move their card that many spaces on the track, resolving stress cards as necessary. Cars never block the movement of other cars on the track, but if a car would land on the same space as another car, they go behind it. Furthermore, if a car finishes next to or directly behind another car, they can slipstream and gain two additional movement that turn. At the end of each player's turn, they can discard any number of speed cards from their hand, not stress cards and not heat cards though and then they draw back up to seven cards. Heat is gained by moving through corners at a speed greater than the limit of that corner. For example, if the speed limit of a corner is two and a player moves through it at speed four, they'd need to move two of their heat cards from their engine to their deck to pay for this action. And if they couldn't, they'd spin out. One heat can also optionally be paid to boost each turn which means that the player flips the top card of their draw deck until they reveal a speed card value one through four and then move that amount. Players also have to be mindful of the gear they're in. Each player begins in first gear and can play any number of cards from any gear, but must pay a penalty if they play more than one card more or less than their current gear. For example, at the start of the race, players start in first gear. So if they play two cards, then they move into second gear. The next turn, they might play three cards, moving them into third gear, and so on. Planning for what gear you'll be in as turns in the racetrack approach is key, as downshifting or upshifting gears too quickly will cost the player's heat. Heat can be cooled down, which means discarding them from a player's hand, by downshifting to first or second gear. And stress cards must be played to remove them from a player's hand. Carefully managing 
between what speed cards you have or might draw, and the load of stress and heat cards in your hand is a key part of the strategy in heat. Play concludes after a set number of laps, depending on the track, being raced on, at which point the player to cross the finish line first is crowned the victor. All right. Thank you, Brendan, for that previously recorded rules overview. Hopefully that gave you a little bit of a better idea about how to play Heat. Where should we start? Oh, well, I think we should start by characterizing the overall decision space. Okay, let's do it. Okay. You know what? Where I would like to start is the clarity of the decision space. And yeah. maybe this is the worst place to start, but I find that this is the kind of prevailing decision space component that I'm left with when I'm playing heat or thinking about heat, which is that it's, it, it is either I, when I make a decision in heat, it's either incredibly clear what mm. to do or completely opaque. And there's hardly any middle ground there. And completely opaque because of the output randomness of certain mechanics like the stress or boosting or why? I think it has to do with the the way the hand management recycling mm. takes place, where it's just really unclear to me the value or detriment of adding a heat to your deck at any point within the game because the payoff is so uncertain. You know, at a lot of points in the game, you may never draw that or, you know, you're shuffling three heat cards versus four heat cards back into your deck and then drawing four cards and it's like, if you draw four heat, you're done. You right. lose the game, right? And But the chance of that is so low. So maybe it has to do with sort of the uncertainty of the, the random draw and also how you know tremendously impactful a bad draw is in this game. Because yeah, a bad I, draw, you're just immediately out of the game. Well, okay, wait, I want to follow up on what you just said okay. in, in two ways. One, you said the payoff of a heat can be confusing. And I just want to clarify that I I know what you're saying completely agree. I think the cost of the heat is what's nebulous and unknown, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. which, which is what you it. already just you were building the argument based upon that. But I think it's important because usually the payoff is clear, right? Like, I'm gonna, I'm a little behind this corner that I has a speed limit of four, I'm gonna make sure I cross at five, because it's the only way I can, I'm gonna pay a heat. And I'm not going to know what the real cost of that heat is. That uncertainty is kind of fun. And that's why I said in my little mini review that, that the core skill this game tests is adaptation and sort of like adaptation and risk management in a way of knowing, do I need to push? And then obviously it's made impossible by the fact that you're simultaneously choosing all your actions. So you can't always know, okay, this is what I should do because then I'll slipstream and pull ahead here, right? You're a little bit guessing almost always in heat, but then you also don't know the true cost of everything. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think if you draw for heat, you're in a tough spot. And also another point where I feel like the decision space is really not clear to me is when at the end of your turn and you're making Oh, discarding around cards. what to discard. Yeah. And if you have like a one and a two in your hand, you know, those don't get you very far. So, you know, level one heuristic is kind of like, okay, if I'm if I have this many cards to play and the objective is to finish the race as fast as possible, like I want to move more spaces with each card played. So yeah. like but, there are definitely times when that's true, especially if you're on like a map that has a long straightaway section. But at the same time, it's so dependent upon what you draw because the game is so built and shaped around 
you know, passing curves at appropriate levels. So being able to get like just within range of the curve, which could be that one or two more speed versus being like outside of the range and being forced to pay a lot of heat to get through it are hugely swingy things. But, you know, whether that one in your hand is valuable or totally worthless is just contingent on what else you're drawing. So, I mean, there's like card counting element there, right? General like awareness of what's in your deck that can help make those decisions more clear. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've played this game, I don't know, like maybe eight times now. And I still feel like a lot of time I just really don't know at all what the right thing to do is when I'm discarding cards from my hand. I think I was doing it too aggressively early on and now like have realized, well, you know, having ones and twos is a lot better than having heat, (laughs) you know, and you don't want to get stuck with a lot of heat. So it's good to have cards you can play to keep things cycling. Yeah, Brendan. So I think that is those type of decisions to me feel really opaque. But then the other side is like what cards to play. And I feel like usually there it can be a lot clearer, Mm. right? Like I have this combination of cards that can get me up to the corner, you know, so on and so forth. I'm in a straightaway. I need to play. I'm in gear three. I can, I'll just play my four highest cards. I'll go into fourth gear because I know I'm not going to make it through that straight away to the end. Next turn, I'll worry about slowing down. Yeah, I, I think you're right that Heat does a really good job of having some really clear decisions that are kind of like slam dunk uh, decisions. Obvious decisions is another way of putting that. That just makes it so you cruise through those turns. And they function as a nice break for the player. And then there are these sort of like completely on the other end of the spectrum times where you're just forced to kind of say, okay, this is what I have to do. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I have to deal with these stress cards in my hand. We'll see what happens and then I'll deal with it from there. But then there's lot for me between those two spectrums, both of which exist in heat. I think it's rare that a game has like both spectrums of complete certainty and complete uncertainty fully realized, but then also has turns that fall kind of on that spectrum because of mechanisms like the boost where I find the more I play heat Jake, the more I think like, Oh, is this the turn boost is this mechanism where uh, once per turn you can pay a heat. Uh, So meaning move a heat from your engine to your deck. Uh, and then you flip a card off the top and then you continue to flip cards off the top of your deck until you flip a speed card and then you move that amount. Uh, I think for me, knowing when I should boost has become a really skill testing thing. One, because, okay, I need to advance down the track further. Potentially it can help me get ahead. Paying one heat isn't typically a lot, but then there's also this like second order heuristic with that mechanisms where it's like, oh, maybe I could boost uh, and potentially end up flipping cards from that aren't aren't speed cards i could i could just boost get to go further and then discard stress cards that seems like a pretty high upside i don't know if i'll get that upside but i know that there's a lot of stress cards in my deck i haven't drawn yet maybe now is the right time to boost uh and maybe i'm boosting and hoping i don't actually move that far because i'm right by cart turn i think the this game it's so easy to see because there's so much depth to chew on and also so much uncertainty that it's not something you can fully ever chew Yeah, and I was going to say, I think we've transitioned away from clarity sort of into depth in this game, which, you know, we haven't played this game dozens of times, right? Yeah. We're probably still in our first 10 games or so, I would say. For both of us, for sure. Yeah, probably approaching that. And, you know, so I I don't want to say, you know, at play 100, you're still like going to be learning new things all the time. But I certainly feel as of now, I'm learning new things and improving at the game with each play. I think a clear example of that is, you know, and this is kind of what gets into the fun of, I feel like, you know, what it might actually be like to be in a race of this Mm -hmm. type, which is that, 
you know, early on when playing, I'm just like, okay, I'm just trying to like go as far and as fast as I can. And now I'm thinking, oh, wait, I don't have to go all the way here because there's actually advantages to being, you know, the last car. Right. So if I, you know, enter a kind of a tricky portion of the race with maybe a lot of short curves where you can't really get your speed up that high anyway, if I go really slow here and let the other cars get in front of me, maybe I can, you know, use that extra speed, the extra adrenaline, heat, cooling that you get from being the last to start a turn, move up to where everybody's likely to be bunched at this curve anyway, and get that drift around them at that point uh, to where, you know, I, you know, all of a sudden, like I've gotten through the corridor faster or whatever, because I took that like tempo turn to let people scream up to the corner ahead of me. Uh, And, you know, uh, pulling off moves like that inside of a board game with rules as streamlined as this, right? Where, where you really feel like you're living and experiencing the theme. That's just like chef's kiff's depth totally. in gaming for me. Another thing that sort of is linking this two things. I talked about the thematic and mechanical link being so strong in this game too, that I want just want to highlight because it ties into what you just said, Jake, is in terms of the clarity, looking at the map, you could sort of say, okay, I want to make sure I have this type of hand at this point in the race because I know there's a lot of turns coming up, right? So I know I want to, I don't want my high cards going into the turns. I don't want fives and fours. I'd like to have some zeros and ones, maybe some twos, a two or a three for flexibility. But in practice, there's so much certainty, uncertainty around what your opponents might do, whether you, you'll end up sort of slipstreaming and getting some extra movement. You can't fully plan. I think in a way that really feels thematic in terms of if you were actually going to go race on a racetrack, you might really study it and say like, this is how I should approach driving on this track. And then in practice and function, I'm sure I've never actually driven a race like this, but I'm sure in practice, when you get there, you have to adjust and adapt just like any sort of sport, right? You're always making decisions on the fly as conditions or your position going into something changes. And I think for me, that feels really thematically right, where there's sort of like similar to when I'm playing a, a game of basketball, I go in it with this plan of like, okay, we'll execute in this way. And then in practice, it's how closely can I stick to that ideal plan that I see based on what I know is laid out before me. And I think that's where so much of the fun and heat lies before me is having this plan in my mind that I want to execute. And then when because of just the variance in the game, other people's behavior, shifting what I can do, figuring out how to adapt and and adjust to that. It really keeps you on your toes and I think contributes to that feel. What do you think the type of decision space is here, Jake? Yeah, I was thinking about that. It's hard to say because I think like the actual like scope of decisions in this game feel different than like the normal kind of Euro game we're playing that has like, a clearer arc Mm -hmm. it also changes based on you know how many laps you're doing like i feel like a one lap race which is just a sprint feels like a very tactical uh, affair with where you're just like using up all your heat by the end and you don't really have to so that's just like an efficiency puzzle that maybe feels almost like waning right like you Mm -hmm. have this one resource and you're playing through it but I think when you get into two or three lap races and now all of a sudden you're not just expending your heat as efficiently as possible, but really trying to manage it, keep not have too much in your deck and hand at one time, 
or else you're going to lose, then I guess you might want you might say it's a dynamic decision space because that's changing over the course of play. Totally. I think I was going to say it's dynamic. I think you're I'm so glad you highlighted that on one lap it almost feels waning, but then on multiple laps, which is my preferred way to play, we played probably two or three times one lap just to get the feel of it. It's the beginner intro game. It's a great way to learn the game. It's a good way to learn. Yeah, but it's not as nuanced. It's not as deep. No, it's not as interesting for sure. But it's cool. It it shows off the the core mechanisms pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. But on that double lap, so much, it's so dynamic because when your hand fills up with heat, the the sort of gameplay loop is okay. Now I have to shift down in gears, probably shed some of this heat, uh, clear, get it back into my engine so I can use it as a resource later. Um, But as you gain heat cards or stress cards into your hand, all of a sudden you have fewer, you, fewer options in a lot of ways than you do if you have more cards, where when you have more cards, you have more decisions around both what cards you might play and what cards you might discard. Uh, So you have this sort of waxing and waiting within the same game from turn to turn that doesn't follow any set pattern. It's largely based on your own decisions previously, which is kind of a classic dynamic decision space uh, type feel. And I think that that's, that's really, really awesome. Also, I guess one final thing to note here just at this point, because I don't really want to talk about it all that much more. It's just another thing about the feel of this game is there's more output randomness, meaning I make a decision and then the consequence of that decision is unknown, uh, right? I, I play a stress card and then I flip cards from the top of my deck and see what happens um, is actually higher in heat than most games we've covered on the show. Not all games. And I think it's worth bringing up and while we're talking about it, because it can feel frustrating for yeah. sure. Uh, and a lot of games, especially higher player count games where, you know, there's going to be multiple, a lot of people all kind of competing the same way. Uh, and, and also in like lower lap count races, the outcome of the game is more likely to be decided by some form of output randomness at the end. Yeah. You know, I in, in my few plays, I've already had a couple plays like, sweet, I win this as long as I don't turn over a one off the top of my deck. You know, bam, one. <laughs> like, yeah. Great. You know, and that can feel frustrating, right? Because I feel like I played the best race and kind of like deserved a win and didn't win. That's going to rub some people wrong. And I think I have seen some chatter in our Discord and other places about that element of the game uh, sort of undermining the depth in some way for some people. So if you're listening to this and that sounds like something that an experience that would totally turn you off of the game, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Though I, I again, just to make a, a counter argument somewhat, though we don't need to make this an episode on variance and output and randomness and accessibility and skill trains and all that stuff that we've covered on decision space in the past. One great thing about those mechanisms is it means if Jake has played this game a hundred times and I've played it three times, I still stand a chance of beating Jake. Jake's going to beat me much more often than I'm going to mm-hmm. beat him, but I still have hope because there's a chance Jake is going to have bad luck. I'm going to have good luck. And I think that's partially what makes heat so shareable as a game and why it's maybe become as popular as it has as quickly as it has is it it's because of the way the game is structured it's how fast it is and also the potential for anyone to win it keeps people a little more engaged and there's a lot in here to curate the experience you want to like a ton of different modules uh and i think kind of the more things you add to the game and the longer you play it you know you could do like a three race circuit or whatever you know and playing three races, three laps each, tracking, you know, points for first, second, third, fourth, so on. Doing all of that is certainly going to make it more much more likely 
that the you know best performing player wins the overall game than just like a short two lap race totally you know you can curate the experience you want as far as that goes i think it naturally right now jake makes sense uh i guess we haven't talked about the size and depth but we kind of hinted at yeah we hit it we talked about it we think it's deep right we think it's deep it's i think and, and i think the size just to put a cap on it is variable and i think this might be something that we find in uh dynamic games more often or not in that uh a lot of times your decisions are kind of pre-planned for you right like you have a really clear path you're on a straightaway so you're going as fast as you can right that's a very small decision space in that moment but there are other turns as we've talked about before where the decision space kind of blows up and it becomes a lot more nuanced and you actually have choices uh, but I would say, like overall, on your turn, each decision is is it's a relatively small. Totally, but there are really deep strategic decisions that are interesting around the gear shifting mechanism being uh, interlocked with the the heat yeah. mechanism and cooling down that make the planning really interesting in heat, uh, and then also things like boosting that are just this extra option you have that you could always do that really do increase the size of the decision space meaningfully i don't want to linger on it more but i do have another thought okay which is just that like i think that we're talking about like racing cars on a track sure thematically that is not something you know and again excuse my ignorance but like the way we perceive race car drivers i think people that are like outside of that like niche is like that is there's not as much (laughs) strategy Mm. and tactics going on inside of that competition i have no idea people like like it's sort of like a joke like nascar right like there's a really funny like onion video that's that popped up in our discord recently which if you don't know onion it's like a parody american parody news source Yeah, yeah and they had like a really funny comedic video where they're interviewing a nascar coach and he's like, they're like, all right, what's your strategy for the race? And he's like, well, I usually just tell my drivers, like, push that pedal all the way to the ground. <laughs> but this and is like, you, you know, the John Madden quote that's like, yeah, about just, you know, score more points. Yeah. Score more points. <laughs> uh, OK, anyway, I think it's smart. Like, I think that if you had a giant decision space, right, like that really forced people to slow down and consider tons of different options that would much. detract yeah. from the theme of a car race also that's what i'm saying so i think it makes sense and you wouldn't really want it to be you for know, sure something bigger i think also it's so interesting you know if we don't talk about this people are going to be like why didn't you talk about this that thematically it's interesting that one of the games we've been saying is the most thematically fully realized game we've played this year in terms of feel of the experience right feeling like we're really racing and having the sort of tense decisions and it really feels like that when you're playing heat like some of the considerations really feels thematically integrated very well but it does that and it achieves that through abstracted mechanisms right so the last time i checked there's no like heat system that nascar drivers or race car drivers in general are managing within their engine as an expendable resource i mean there might uh, there might be right like engine overheating is a thing there's like this is an abstract system boosting is also last time i checked there's no like boost button that you can push in terms of that and these are abstracted well, when i watched of- the documentary speed racer they definitely <laughs> had that yeah, yeah the boost switch or you know fast and the furious with the nos but all i'm saying is i think it's it's interesting and a neat aspect of games right that sometimes 
the way in which how this is an obvious statement, but the way in which you abstract certain elements can potentially lead to a more fully realized theme than actually trying to thematically simulate as much as possible. Because what's important about a game's theme being fully realized isn't always how close it adheres to reality, but how close it feels like what it should feel like within the context of the abstracted experience you're having of playing a game. And that's neat and fun and interesting and a novel aspect of the game. Well said. Let's talk about if Heat is a card game. And also, just let me apologize to all the F1 nuts and the NASCAR people. Yeah, I'm sure there's a <laughs> Doing lot. Doing damage of, control already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, me just kind of, let me just do that. Like, just save myself an edit in the podcast. <laughs> I'll just do that live. Yeah, I, I know. I don't understand it. I'm sure there's a ton of strategy that goes into each and every one of these motorsports. No, you heard it here. Jake could win a race, push the pedal to the metal, and uh, you win. Is Heat a card game, Jake? I This is so... Okay, we're going to do this at the midpoint of the show because I feel like if we do it later, it's not going to be as interesting. And also, I don't know how much time we could spend on it. And this is a philosophical question, but I'm curious for your take. We're going to talk about the card mechanisms. We've been talking about them a lot. It's where some of the most interesting decisions lie. Is this a card game? I think that Heat falls for me like squarely into a board game category. Yeah. You know, everything that the cards are doing is centered on a little model car going around a track and that's like dictating the decisions that you'll make obviously it's like a card driven game but i'm so excited to argue the other end okay (laughs) okay bring on i think he is a card game with a board to track it's like with a a board to track how the card game is going okay okay because (laughs) so many of your decisions are empowered by what's in your those cards that are in your hand and fundamentally i think so much of the skill testing in terms of of the decisions you're making are based on your hand management decisions around what you'll draw what you'll discard what you'll discard what's probably in your deck should you force a shuffle at this point in time by discarding extra cards even though those cards might be good because you need to get some extra cards into that deck to shuffle back in hoping to draw fewer heat that you've stoked into your discard pile i i don't know i just feel like he is a is a card game masquerading as a board game in sort of the best way but a way that i really enjoy my game playing tabletop experiences i I mean i think this is like it's like broom service pretty pointless argument a hundred percent so so (laughs) i'd love people to weigh in but because you're taking on such an indefensible position (laughs) i have to ask like what about ticket to ride card Um, yeah oh yeah that's a card game okay no ticket to ride has blocking i think the blocking of ticket to ride and the 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 what the blocking you, of tickets. You're, you're already giving no, up position. No, no, that's position. a meaningful difference. A meaningful difference. Yeah, but there's meaningful difference based on... It's not blocking in this, but there is drifting based on where people's cars are, are located. That's true. There's a little yeah. bit of nuance. Yeah, but it's still, for me, leans card, ticket ride, leans board. El Grande, board game driven by cards. Broom service, card game with board elements. Okay, this is so dumb. Semantically, yeah, this is so we're, dumb. we're so I think, I think I think people are going to be on my side. So please think, weigh okay. in on the Discord and we'll have a little vote. Yeah, we'll do a vote in the announcement for this episode. Go in there okay. and you can vote if it's a card game or a board game. And we'll denote how you can select it. And then we'll, and we'll also vote. Yeah, we'll also have a vote for this is semantically pointless discussion. Like, please never do this again. <laughs> yeah. <category>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Perfect. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so... With that, can we talk about some of the the card mechanisms and yeah, sort yeah. of decisions there? Okay, yeah, I definitely agree. There are cards in this game. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> They're A huge relief. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, so for me, Jake, as I just sort of said, I think that the the cards are fundamentally the most interesting aspect of the decisions within the game because they link into all the mechanisms and sort of unite them all together. So if you care about the movement, which you do because this is a race, uh, which is the goal is intrinsic to the design, uh, you want to go fast, you need to get high cards, the sort of heuristics Jake was talking about. And then it also ties into the heat cards that could end up in your in your deck or the stress cards that you know you're going to draw into at some point. So I think for me, what was is so interesting, Jake, is the decision to allow you to just discard cards at the end of your turn, so long as they're not heat or stress cards. To sort of say, because without that, heat becomes a lot less about adaptation and planning. You can't preempt the situation you might end up in, and your agency is so meaningfully reduced. And I think that that mechanism, it could almost seem like a throwaway to a beginner, right? To a beginner, you might say, just like, play the cards you have, kind of play your high cards when you're on straightaways, play your low cards going through turns, and you'll probably end up doing okay. Um, but as you play the game more, you start to really think about how you might shuffle your deck or what cards might be on draw uh, and trying to make value judgments around, is my hand good enough or do yeah. I need to try to get a better hand for what's coming up a turn from now, two turns from now, three turns from now? Yeah, I think he has like improving it. He has a lot to do with like becoming more aware of sort of what's in your deck and what's in your discard pile at every time and like how you can take that knowledge and implement it as strategy yep. in the game, right? So an obvious example of that is the stress cards, which when you play it, you discard cards off the top until you reveal a speed, right? If you know that getting a five is devastating to you, which there are many points in the game where that might be the case, um, but it's okay to... Or sorry, I messed up because the five can't turn out. It actually up. doesn't count. Yeah, yeah one to so four. Say, sorry, so let's say a four. Uh, a four is devastating to you, but everything else is is helpful. Knowing that you know two of the three fours are already in your discard pile is going to be really important to making the right decision there. Yeah. Versus knowing that I you know there's six cards left in my deck and I haven't drawn any of the fours yet. Right. You know, th there could be situations where you like you absolutely just like cannot play a stress card if you like have that awareness. And yep. that's a very clear example of it. But, you know, there's way more like nuanced examples that pop up on essentially every turn of the game when you're deciding what to discard yeah. uh, at the end of your turn. I think also one of the most important mechanisms in heat is the fact that you always refill your hand to seven cards at the end of the turn, because that means that the number of cards you play and the number of cards that you discard are going to dictate how many new cards you see on the subsequent turn, right? So that the combination of both the discarding mechanism and the refill mechanism, that's what gives you this real sense of momentum and pace and speed in heat, I think. It, it's that, right, that makes it such that because you can only discard cards that let you move, so zero through five, uh, means that when your hand fills with heat and stress, things really slow down and you feel sluggish, like you have to reset. And it also means that when you're going fast, it feels like you're moving faster because you get a bunch of new options on the next turn to look at. So the, the faster you're going, the more cards you play, the more new things you see and the more sort of adjustments you have to do. I think that that's another really good thematic integration uh, that I just want to credit, right? And when you when there's heat and stress, you're slowing down, the, the game kind of seizes up, mimics what it would be like to be stressed during a race where maybe you get more cautious for a second and you kind of have to adjust to that. And I, I just think it's brilliant. And I just want to highlight that. The other interesting 
I think thing about the card element here, Brendan, is it almost feels like a game, especially when you're playing like actually in any iteration of this race, like it almost has that like there are no guardrails here, right? Mm. Like it is possible in this game to make bad decisions that put you in like such a horrible situation in the game that like you almost can't even finish the race. Yeah. Which, cause I think what I thought of this because one thing you said is like, you might need to slow down and reset, but there aren't really mechanics that allow you to fully reset. If you end up with a hand of just stress cards at a turn and heat, you're in trouble. Right. Like what do you even do? You can discard one heat and draw one yeah. card. If you're in last place, yeah. you could discard two heat and draw two cards. Like either way, you've just definitely lost. And this situation can certainly crop up, you know, even to more experienced players too. Uh, I I alluded to it early in the episode. Um, But if you shuffle, you know, 12 cards into your deck and four of them are heat and you draw four heat, Mm -hmm. well, you're down to three cards that you can possibly use, you know, and one of those you know, might be a stress or like a zero things that aren't necessarily good things that could, you know, result in either not moving or potentially adding more heat to your deck. So I I think it's something something to be aware of. And it's something kind of interesting that we don't always or often see in a game that I think is truly accessible, uh, that, that there aren't really guardrails for people who just make catastrophic mistakes. And I will say, playing this game, learning this game, I've had moments where I just spin out and spin out right. and spin out. And I've yeah. played a lot of games. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So it's something to be aware of and something to maybe talk through if you're playing with true beginners, which I think this is an accessible game that you could play with true beginners. Because like the rules are accessible. Yeah. And that's the key thing. But yeah, you, you can really blunder it. Um, and you can also just get unlucky. You know, so yeah. both of those things are are things to be aware of. And I think they add to the theme, right? Like in racing, like people can yeah. crash. <laughs> people can, and you know, yeah. that's like, yeah, that's a part of it. And having high stakes, right? lead to some of the most exciting moments of the game where you know i have to you know play this stress card and anything but a four is great or anything but a one is awesome because then i'll get across the speed line but if i don't get across the speed line then i'll be right next to the speed line and i can only go two speed around it next turn and all i have in my hand is a bunch of fours and fives (laughs) Yeah, yeah totally I want to just clarify something really quickly that you okay. said. You don't think zero is unequivocally bad, right? No, of course not. No, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's. It's great for, you know, the going into corners. Yeah, going into corners. Whether you need to slow it's down like or card. speed up. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's very situational. I mean, yes. I, in the majority of positions in this game, you don't want to have a zero. But yeah, that's it. Can lead to fun, tricky decisions too. About like, do I discard this now? When I know, you know, in two turns, I'll be approaching a corner. And that gets to like the clarity being like so opaque because it's like, yeah, I think that I'll want to use this. But if I just draw, you know, uh, it depends on the numbers I draw. If I draw right? fours, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's uh, just to highlight that, like, right, having cards that are so situa- situationally amazing and situational situationally weak is partially what makes the hand management so interesting because if all the cards were roughly equal power value, the discard wouldn't be interesting at all. So this system of of straightaways and turns that's just a part of races then matches with this hand management system to lead to this really dynamic, interesting decision space that creates these like textured uncertainties that are tough to chew on and fun to think through. 
And because of the randomness around or the variance around what your opponents might do makes that puzzle even harder to solve. Should we touch on the spatial rules really quickly, Jake? I think we should. And one, because I think one mechanic that has in my mind where I'm at now and my understanding of how to do well in this game has a really outsized import in the game is that slipstreaming mechanism, which is if you end your movement after you use the speed cards that you play to end your movement in a space directly behind a car or directly adjacent to a car, you get to move two spaces forward. And the reason I think this has such an outsided outsized impact in the game is twofold one it is a really advantageous way to get around corners and kind of fudge the corner limit the way corners work in this game is if a corner each corner will have a line that's like this is where the corner is and if you pass around this corner at a speed higher than it for each uh number higher right if the corner is four and i go at a five speed which is that's your entire movement for the turn then i have to pay one heat if i go through the four corner at speed seven i've moved seven spaces this turn i have to play three heat and the slip streaming allows you to fudge those limits because it allows you to move two extra spaces but it's the only thing in the game that doesn't allows you to move spaces without it like counting as it doesn't count as your speed, speed value so i yeah. could move six spaces and still get around the four corner if i did so by slip streaming the other reason and i think this is just even more central to the game mechanisms is that everybody has the same deck of starting cards at least in the base game you know mm. there's some modules that you can have some slight difference in in the upgrade cards or something but everybody has the in the base game everybody has the same set of cards which means we're all cycling the same set of cards we all have the same opportunity to use the same numbers to advance around the track so every time you're slipstreaming that's just two extra spaces you get to proceed towards the finish line and it makes me feel like you know that maybe the decision space in this game is really what's oriented around is putting yourself into positions to slipstream as much as possible. I think that that's one of the things too, Jake, where, okay, you hear it on paper, right? Okay, two extra movement. That sounds good. It yeah, sounds like, I'll try and get that. Yeah, I... but all this, it's one of those things where the marginal benefit of getting two extra movement, if you're able to do that three times in a race, four times in a race, five times in a race, all of a sudden, the extra movement that you've gained from not playing any additional cards, just free movement is huge. 10 spaces is, is more than more than a turn or two in a lot of cases. So over the course of the game, that's where you can make up so much potential direction. And you can do that not just by being last, right? You're always going to get a little benefit from the adrenaline of being last. But if you're in second and you and you end up two spaces or directly behind your opponent and get two free movement, you're getting added value there too. So it adds interesting texture to the decision space where you start to think, okay, maybe it wouldn't be best to play my highest value cards, maybe I want to play my middle value cards because maybe Jake's going to really play higher value cards, end up slightly ahead, so I want to be slightly behind Jake. And you start to do some of that double think of what's just enough that I can then carve a little bit of extra advantage, right? I don't have to push as hard as possible. I just have to push hard enough that I'm going to get this little boost. And I think this mechanism being important is like a stroke of design genius because without it, uh, and really, you can't overstate, uh, again, how I'm understanding the game and playing it now, I can't overstate like how central this is to every decision I'm making. If I'm in the lead, you know, maybe I want to go slower than people are expecting so that people accidentally, you know, go past me. Because the last thing I want is to, you know, go 
as far as I can. And then they also go as far as I can and then slipstream past me. Yeah. Right. I would much rather be the one slipstreaming on them and then using my cards to put me in a, you know, a position where they're, they're not going to be able to like catch up. Yeah. And I think without this, people would say that this game is not interactive enough. Mm. Right. It would feel, yeah. I mean, without this, it essentially is multiplayer solitaire, right? Like this it is, is basically yeah. the thing that people are interacting with. So you want it to be important to the gameplay and decision making. Like without this, you don't really care where other cars are except for like, oh, dang it, they're ahead of me. So they're probably without this, I automatically win the card game argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and without yeah. this, you unequivocally lose. TVD, TVD. Okay, moving on. Can I? I think now might be the most natural place to say to Jake, just because of the movement and the spatial relations. Relations. Heat's one of the only games I've ever played where I'm like one or two spaces behind someone, but feel like I've potentially lost the race, like that I've just unequivocally lost because of if you don't make a corner on pace with the rest of the pack, if you end up one quarter or like heavens forbid two corners behind everyone else, you're just dusted. Yeah. And I think that one, that's there, such there a There could cool be situations like in a longer race, like if sure, early on out. it's you're okay. Yeah. Right. Because of the adrenaline, there's catch up mechanisms for sure. But like later on, but it feels be... horrible to be behind, a, a, especially if it's like a two, right? It's like not only yeah. am I behind these people, I have to like slow way down, take a turn that's basically passing to get around this corner while yeah. everybody else is just like speeding around the board. It's if a real you even gut have punch. the cards to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if you want a game that has real gut punches, he's he's a good one because it has very high points and very low moments, too, in a, in a fun way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything cool. else about the the spatial rules that are interesting? I think you sort of covered it, and maybe this kind of just goes into the simultaneous decisions in general, which we should talk about here, just because so much of why those simultaneous card-playing decisions are interesting is because of the slipstreaming, and we talked about the sort of additive potential of those. But I think really it's like so many mechanisms in heat, whether it's the heat or this slipstreaming mechanism or the the corners or the hand management discard. Another thing that's doing double duty here is the simultaneous decisions. It's making the decisions around slipstreaming more interesting, but it's also just speeding up the game yeah. in a reasonable way where you can sit down and play with six people and have the game not take three hours. And I think that that's another brilliant thing about this game is that it's doing the double duty design decision type thing in, across almost all of its mechanisms. And I think the simultaneous choice around card reveals also just preserves that that feel of and sense of flow that you need for a racing game. I think he at the end of the day is, is like a game where all the design choices are like building on and enhancing the others, right? And this yeah. is another case where having simultaneously decisions mean it's gr- means it's great that you have a decision space that's at times opaque and at times yeah. concrete. Uh, And also having just like a smaller decision space, like a smaller scope of what people might do. I really don't like uh, simultaneous decision games when like I'm supposed to predict what people are doing, but it just feels like impossible. Like people are just like Mm. doing chaotic and random stuff here. You always know what people, you know, largely are going for. Uh, and so it like enables that donkey space to exist in a way that actually is meaningful to the gameplay instead of just like frustrating totally. and, and donkey space being that I know that you know that I know. So right. And that's like, that's like this the, the slipstream game where it's like, you know, I I'm in first place. I don't want people to slipstream off me. So maybe I attempt to use my lower speed cards to go slow, let people speed by and I'm using my higher speed cards next time but if you know that i know that 
Now all of a sudden we're playing a different game entirely where maybe you, you know, anticipate that and make yeah. similar choices and really punish me for that by getting out in front of me and also keeping your, you know, powerful high speed cards for uh, another opportunity. I think something really smart about how that works in heat that for me helps it from feeling too whimsical. You said chaotic and I think chaotic is a good word for it too, but this sort of like we're in donkey space and there's so little to understand and be able to actually predict that it doesn't feel meaningful at all, which I think people who don't like games that lean into donkey space decision spaces it that's why they sort of feel like well this is just random i could just do whatever and i'm going to be making an optimal decision uh, but one thing about heat is that because the movement's linear right you're literally moving in this like it's not a straight line because there's turns but you're moving in a line you have one objective to get to the finish line to move forward and get there is that it helps ground that and constrain it a little bit to make it slightly more meaningful rather than even in a game I love like broom service, broom service at times, the decisions around what your opponent might do because they're moving within a, a 2D space that's not linear, they could move to different territories, I think at times can be harder to read your opponents than what's here. And I, I really appreciate that about this. In broom service, not only can you move in any direction, like they, you, your your priority might be moving or it might be- Getting potions. Yeah. Be delivering resources. Yeah. Uh, so that you have like a whole- different axis of things here your priority is always going forward yeah, yeah. you can like cut out you know two-thirds of that it's like they're gonna go forward but how are yeah. they gonna and that only question you need to ask yourself which makes it really easy to engage with it right away and you still have the downbeat turns where you're okay my priority this turn is i have to get some cooldown, so i have to downshift into first gear or maybe second gear to just do one but you're still moving forward you're you're accomplishing both yeah cool we talked about the boost mechanism some already jake or at least i did what are your thoughts on that mechanism again this is the optional mechanism that you can once per turn you can pay a heat to flip a card from the top of your deck yeah it's i think it's interesting i honestly don't like i think that is a place for me where i still have a lot to like explore learn. and learn yeah. about this game i find myself kind of ignoring it in large part because i'm so focused on like doing the race efficiently right so mm. all of my heat resources are typically used like to get around corners as you know quickly as possible so i don't get like stuck behind them but to understand sort of the nuance of like okay maybe it's okay if i take an extra turn to get around this corner because then you know i'll be saving the heat that other people are expending now to boost later is is going to be valuable to me but like again that just to me right now it feels like incredibly opaque for like why I would when I would want to do that when that might be better than just like doing what I can to get around the yeah, corner. Yeah. And totally. I think for me one thing I love about this mechanism is it's that classic type of mechanism that just increases player agency so much that it sort of explodes the decision space, right? Because what's important is there's almost always in any given game going to be a time where it's probably the right decision to boost. But knowing when that is, is a tough decision that the more you play, the more you'll get a sense for. And you'll it also introduces the potential to make a really bad decision like you were talking about earlier. And I think our recent play, Jake, we're playing on like this France map, sorry, France racetrack map is probably a not good term in this case, but I guess it's fine where there's, it's pretty, it, it's interesting because there's like one really long straightaway and then a few turns with like a little straightaway in between uh, two sort of tough turns. And I found 
for the first time that I was able to use Boost really effectively, where I sort of felt like, okay, this is my chance to make a calculated risk. I'm going to take it. And if I do it, I could probably end up in a really strong position to win the race. So I thought that, and I, I did it, it pushed me right up next to a corner uh, that set me up nicely for a, a subsequent turn. I just felt like it finally clicked for me when I should be maybe thinking about taking the risk to boost. And a lot of it is around the sort of like, what do I know is in my deck? Uh, I think this is a good mechanism because as you're learning the game, like you said, and I've certainly been doing this too, you can kind of ignore it. But then the more you play, the more you can choose to engage with it. And I think that, that creates a really wonderful learning curve for heat. Yeah, it's a, it's a great game. I, are there any other thoughts that are just odds and ends, things that are lingering with you about this game uh, that you feel like you should say that maybe our conversation thus far didn't quite get at? I have one. Okay, you tackle of. it and I'll noodle. Okay, so just one random thought I had, not random, uh, from this conversation is, you know, we've talked a lot about how you have some turns are just going as far as you can and some turns are taking an offbeat to get rid of heat. And I found in a lot of my plays that if if you haven't played this game and are listening to this, you might be surprised to find that a lot of those turns are dictated not by choice, but by the cards you have. Mm. You know, uh, I think I think we maybe are giving the, the false impression and, and there are certainly times and maybe more so the more you play where you have both options available to you and both are viable. But I find that a lot of times like the cards in my hands sufficiently dictate whether I need, and and the map together like are dictating more so when I'm taking off beats and when I'm going forward, then that's like an actual decision I'm making. But don't turn. you think that the decisions that you are able to make now were dependent on the decisions that you made two or three turns ago? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just mean like within the con- confines of any turn, gotcha. I don't think I feel like I often have like a full range of like, I'm going to go really f- fast or I'm going to go slow and just play a couple of cards to, to take an offbeat. Maybe yeah. I just have too much heat in my deck because I'm like trying to get around the corners so fast. But I, I think that, you know, I so I want to leave people with the impression that like on your turn, like your actual tactical choices are very constrained. That's the feeling mm-hmm. I get when I yeah. play it. Uh, a small decision space, which leads me to think is, you know, the game is more so playing in like a strategic space than a tactical. And I think that that helps a lot for keeping the simultaneous turns functional. Snappy. Snappy. Yeah. Yeah, Because sometimes you run into this problem when everyone's making simultaneous decisions where, you know, half the table finishes their decisions in 12 seconds and then half the table wants to think on them for five minutes. Uh, And that's not always the most fun for the people who made their decisions really fast. So I think the fact that you have these sort of like constrained, really tactical decision based turns or sorry, where your decisions, you were making the point that the game is more strategic, right? Yeah. 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 I, I think it's it's yeah it's like a weird nuance because it's like it's strategic in the sense that like what you're doing now is going to impact you later but it's yeah. not exactly clear like when <laughs> is that gonna right and, 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 that, how. Could, yeah. and that goes to like the cost of like heat being like so variable if, you know if they're equally distributed throughout your deck it's kind of okay but if they're not it's really really bad yeah you know and it's like i'm going fast now so i'm not gonna have these cards to go fast next time unless i just draw more cards that help me go fast you know in which case Oh, I was expecting that I'd have to go slow up to this curve, but I don't have that option either. So it is, it feels strategic in that like you're definitely impacting yourself, but you're doing so in like a much more nuanced way than another game that's like strategic where it's like my goal this game is to like achieve this global objective. You know, yeah. th- there's nothing so intentional here. I so guess it's for just me, different. The- it's a different vibe than other totally. games we've played. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the, the only last thing I want to note on is just how much emergent 
agency comes out of the sort of mechanisms in the game, whether it's just these little design decisions, right? Like that when you boost, you flip cards until you reveal one with a speed symbol, which means that you can discard heat and stress out of your deck. Uh, things like that, or the way you might want to be last and why you might want to be last, or how you might not want to play the highest value cards in your turn because you could slipstream. Things like that that aren't, when you read the rulebook, they don't necessarily pop out immediately. But when you play the game, you have the aha moment of like, oh, I can be cleverly clever cleverly dastardly that's two adjectives in a row i shouldn't do that but you know what i'm getting at uh that make you feel pretty brilliant when it goes your way that the more i play heat the more i appreciate how much i enjoy those moments when they come together yeah you can yeah you can have a plan come together in heat in a pretty brilliant way uh that feels very rewarding I guess also, yeah. if we don't speak to it, Jake, people are going to want us to speak to what we think of the different maps and modules. Yeah. I've, so we should just do that. Okay. I mean, here's what I would say about it. I haven't played with all this stuff that much. Yeah. Most of my plays yeah. have been, we've played on different maps, but most of my plays have been with more of the core rules. Yeah. And when I played with like the different weather conditions where like different parts of the board has special rules applied, that honestly didn't do a lot for me. I thought the special cards you get in your deck are a little bit more interesting and fun. You have breaks where it's a one or a three depending and you can make the decision after it's revealed. What I would say about all this stuff is I think it makes it a better product for people who are interested in picking it up. Like it's, you're going to get more fun stuff to explore in the box. And I think that's great, but you know, we were intentional about keeping this more about the core aspects of the design. So I think it makes sense that we kind of covered it there and sort of leave it for people to kind of discover on their own this yeah. other stuff. And I'll just add it's sort of I feel exactly the same as you do, Jake, about some of the other stuff. I think the more I played, the more I might be interested in sort of the I think it's called like the garage upgrades where you like draft special cards to be part of your starting deck with the breaks, or maybe you have an extra cooling system or something that gives you these little nuanced differences in your decision space. That's cool. It gives you this little asymmetric flair. Uh, I think the boards the racetracks the maps whatever you want to call them uh the differences in those you really do feel in the decision space uh in a way that the more you play the more you can appreciate the differences and how you should strategically approach racing on a, a board with more curves at the start or more curves at the end or a density of curves or one really big straightaway or a few small ones and i think that that's really fun and makes it easier to share with new players where you can just show anyone any map to start out on or any board. Uh, but for you, it kind of gets recontextualized. And I think that uh, it's just awesome. There's a lot here and it's part of that endless explorability that I mentioned. Awesome. Brandon, let's close our thoughts on heat there. And as always, invite people to join us in our Discord where we'll be talking about this episode as well as all our other episodes. Uh, and we'd absolutely love to hear what you think about this conversation, the stuff you agree with, the stuff you think we missed, um, because you know that's oftentimes where the richest conversation happens. Yep. And I do want to correct one oversight from last week's episode. I, you know, when my friend and friend of the show, Paul Solomon, found out he that we didn't include a mention of Santa's Workshop, a game that he's been developing with Elf Creek Games that's out now. I don't think it, I don't want to like overstate it, but I think he was grievously wounded. Uh, so I do want to just quickly shill for our friend if that's something that you think is interesting, a worker placement game. Paul is one of the best people in the board gaming industry. Uh, he's been a huge help to me. So happy to share information about this new game on our platform. So that's Santa's Workshop by Elf Creek Games. 
And then I'll also add that uh, coming up, you know, there's a lot of people who like to pre-plan and play games with us in terms of coverage coming up on the show, in terms of games. I want to let people know that Jake and I are definitely covering the Days of Wonder Classic Ticket to Ride on our Train Game podcast right here on Decision Space uh, at some point near in the future. We'll also cover Planet Unknown, fun polyomino game uh, at some point coming up soon. Those are both available to play on Board Game Arena. I think Planet Unknown is in alpha still. So if you need help getting access to that, talk to us on Uh, Discord. And then also, I just want to highlight, you know, our patrons requested that we cover Food Chain Magnate on the show. Magnate, we will still be doing that. Rest assured, if you were one of the folks who voted for that, it is still happening. Jake and I are just needing some extra time to get that really heavy game uh, played and under our belts, but we're we're planning. Uh, we're thinking through how we can make it happen, and we want to bring it to you. So I know it's it's taken a while, but right here, I just want to say it's happening. Rest assured, it will come. Last, last, last thing for our patrons. Uh, we tried an experiment last week where we're sharing uh, our podcast recording videos unedited on the Patreon page. So hopefully if you're a patron, you saw that last week. This is something that really is quite easy uh, for us to just throw up there without any editing. So we're going to plan to do that going forward if that's any value to you. And if anybody wants to see what we look like when we record these episodes, uh, you can unfortunately do so at patreon.com slash decision space. Beyond that, know that please you can follow our Instagram. Just search decision space on Instagram. You can find cool stuff posted there. Uh, and yeah, until next time, mm, I hope you enjoy some heat pedal to the metal. Bye y'all. Bye y'all. Bye.